All right, Matthew 7, verse 6, Jesus continues his Sermon on the Mount, and he says this, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, buckle up, listen to what Jesus says, if you then who are evil, <laughs> we'll come back to this, but I just love the fact that this doesn't jive with what most churches are preaching today. Jesus' Jesus' statement is not what most churches... If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. All right, so I told you that these verses don't connect. They are independent thoughts. But I know in the heart of the Son of God who just spoke them, as we, as we were reading them, we're reading an actual sermon that he preached. He knows how they connect. I don't really know everything about what he was doing when he was giving these, especially if you connect verse 6 with what he says in verse 5. If you carry a Bible, verse 5 is the verse that says, don't, well, actually, it's verse 1 through 5. He's teaching, don't judge. Don't judge others lest you be judged. Pull the two by four out of your eye before you go to inspect the sawdust. The whole, the whole passage is about not judging. And then he turns around in verse 6, and he refers to certain types of people as dogs and pigs. And so when I'm reading this, I'm like, Jesus, you have me in a place of tension because we know it's all good. We know it's all true. We know that he's not in conflict with himself. And so what it does when we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, the whole, the whole kind of vibe of the Sermon on the Mount is it stretches you and it kicks all your crutches away from you, your religious props, your pre presumptions, your presuppositions, what you think, how things ought to be. And the Sermon on the Mount reduces you to this place where you're just locked into Jesus and you're saying, I have to listen very clearly to what you're saying in your Sermon on the Mount because none of it can be uh, secured in my flesh. None of it can be accomplished through religious routine. And, and, and none of it will bring any glory if I really don't get your heart. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus saying, this is what I am like. This is what the kingdom is like. And not only is this what I am like, this is actually what I like to see in you. And so when we are going through it every single week while I'm studying and even while I'm preaching, I'm like, this is hard it's so hard that it's impossible to live this kind of life apart from the power of the holy spirit you can't do it so that's not meant to defeat you it's meant to bring you to a place of absolute dependence upon the lord and so what it does is when i want to live in a way that brings pleasure to jesus 
I can't do that on the fly. I can't do that flippantly. I can't do it casually. I can't even do it while trying to preserve my coolness as a Christian. I, I have to do what he says. I have, to, I have to mourn. I have to become poor in spirit. I have to hunger and thirst. I have to come to the end of myself. And when we come to the end of ourself, we're able to, to begin to get the mind of Jesus and recognize, oh, I don't just need him on Sundays. I need him every minute of every hour of every day. Oh, God, help me to stay aware of that. And so let's go into this, and I just want to tell you, um, if, if, if it stretches you, good. It means I'm preaching it right. And so let's start with verse 6. These are really three many messages all packed into one. And here's verse 6. Jesus is teaching us some things, and the first thing he's teaching us is what I call discernment in kingdom release and i'll explain that in a moment this is what he says don't give to the dogs that which is holy and don't throw your pearls before pigs lest those pigs trample them underfoot and turn and attack you what what's he saying he's he's literally giving instruction to his disciples about something that's important to their lives as they follow him he's not just throwing random words out there he's telling them not to do something and in context what he seems to be speaking is this we as we live our and this goes all through the sermon on the mount this builds on what we've read in the chapter five six and now early in seven he's he's telling us over and over again at various points how we need to interact with other people and he's just told us in the first five verses of chapter number seven don't live going around judging people. But I think what he might be doing is he's putting a counterbalance to that. Because the, counter, the, the out of balance of don't judge lest you be judged is we walk around living lives telling people everything you do is okay. Hey, who am I to judge? Everything you're doing is okay. Your morals, whatever you choose. As long as you're cool with it, you're okay. As long as you're not hurting anybody else, you're okay. I'm okay, you're okay. You don't mess with me, I won't mess with you. We're all okay. And that is the abyss that uh, relativism brings us to. And, and we end up saying, well, I don't want to be one to judge because I've got a little sawdust in my eye and who am I to judge them? Listen, that's not what Jesus was trying to impart to us. There are some things in the Word of God that are already judged. And so when we live in agreement with what is written, we're not being the judges, we're being witnesses. And when we are living what we're also witnessing, then we are being very effective witnesses. So Jesus is not telling us to live in this soupy, undefined kind of Christian ethic that doesn't really have any parameters. So in case we might be tempted to live in that out of balance, I'm not going to judge anything or anybody, Jesus then immediately starts saying, by the way, your life is to be one of release. You have things that you are investing in life. Everybody's life is releasing something. You did it all day today. There were times today where you released your words. You released your influence. You released your time. You put your time into something today. You released your money. And I think what specifically Jesus is referring to here, when he's using that element of the pearl, a very costly, valuable gem, I believe what he is speaking specifically about, it can be applied other ways, but specifically he's talking about the message of the kingdom. 
He's talking about the gospel. This pearl that defines who we are as we relate to him, Jesus is saying, don't take this valuable thing that you're going to release, and I'm not diminishing the other things I mentioned, but let's stay in context here. He says, and don't, don't give that which is holy to dogs. How many of you are dog owners in the room? Raise your hand. We have the best dog in the world. We have about a seven-year-old chihuahua, and her name is Zoe, and I call her the Mexican queen. She is a Mexican dog breed, and I love Zoe, and she lives like a queen. She is now old enough to where she's doing that thing that all chihuahuas end up doing. You know what it is? Their tongue hangs out. So she's an ugly queen, but she's sweet. But my little sweet dog is not the kind of dog Jesus was referring to here. In Jesus' day, there were very few domesticated dogs. They were all street dogs. They were scavengers. They would be more like jackals. That's what kind of we would think. They were rabid. They were filthy. They were dirty. They were mean. They were dangerous. And so Jesus makes this statement. He says, don't take that which is holy and feed it to the dogs. What is he talking about? Remember that in, in Judaism, they would have animal sacrifices. And when they go to the temple to sacrifice an animal, some of the sacrifice would be burnt before the Lord as an act of worship. Some of that animal that was sacrificed would go to the priest to take care of the priest. That's literally how they sustain themselves. And oftentimes there'd be a part of that sacrificial animal that would go back home and the people would actually eat it. When it was offered to the Lord, it's holy. It's just a word that means consecrated. It means dedicated unto the Lord. And Jesus is saying this, don't take that thing which is dedicated to the Lord and throw it before those who only want to consume it. Then he adds another layer. He's saying the same thing two different ways. He says, and don't take your pearls, resources that are valuable, whether it's the gospel, whether it's your time, whether it's your words, whether it's your relationship, whether it's your money, your influence, don't take the pearls that I've given you and cast them before pigs because the pigs don't appreciate the pearls. You know what the pigs want? They want food. And when we take something as valuable, I mean, it's an it's a, it's a exaggerated illustration that he's using, but he's saying, don't take that which I've entrusted you, which is so precious, and toss it before people who have no regard for it to the extent that they trample it underfoot, they disregard it, they diminish its value, and then, because you didn't give them what they wanted, they turn on you. And so we're talking about consumption and consumerism. We're talking about that we are children of God who've been entrusted with many things to steward, and the greatest of which is the message of Jesus. And so whether it's our time or our influence, our words, our relationships, our money, whatever that is, Jesus is saying here, I need you to live with discernment in your kingdom releases. And here's the thing that kind of makes us a little awkward with this. He's literally saying, there are some people you need to discern that are unfit for your continual investment. That's, that doesn't sound like the Jesus that I've been taught. It doesn't, it, because we, we, like, we like hippie Jesus. We like 1965 Jesus in a tie-dye t-shirt and, uh, and, and everything's gray and he's just standing there, I love you, I love you, I love you, I'm gonna give you. And, and then that we have this morphed view of the Christian ethic that the world has repackaged and handed back to the church and said, preach this to us. What is that ethic? Love everybody and if you really love us, you're always gonna make us feel good about us. 
Therefore, don't talk to us about sin. Don't talk to us about truth. Don't talk to us about life change. Don't talk about, to us about biblical morality. And if you're telling me something I don't like to hear, you hate me. And now that is like just part of our culture. You're not allowed to disagree with people anymore because if you disagree with them, you're a hater. And so you can't have a differing opinion or you're accused of, you know, you're, you're this type of person or this type of, and you're, you're something phobic. And, and, and so what, what we've got is now the church is imbibing this thing. And so the church is now offering up lukewarm milk, and the culture doesn't like that, by the way, either. And so what Jesus is saying to us, let's bring it down to the individual level. He's saying, go ye therefore and take the gospel into all the world. So we are to be witnesses, zealous, fervent, loving, clear witnesses of the gospel truth but, you know, some of those people are going to stiff arm you. And I'm not saying you walk away and shake the dust off your sandals as soon as that happens. But I am saying this. You've only got so much time on planet Earth. You've only got so many words that are allotted to you before you speak your last word. You've only got so much you can invest of yourself in certain places. So everything's limited, and there are some people that Jesus says here, you need to be able to discern the difference between the hungry lambs who will take what you offer versus the dogs who will shred that holy thing you give them and demand something more versus the pigs that when you hand them the pearls, the valuable things that are coming from you into their lives, they'll look at those pearls and they'll say, I wanted a corn cob. I wanted slop. I wanted something to feed my flesh, and those wild pigs will turn. Now, Jesus is not being politically correct. How many of you have come to that place where you realize he is one of the most politically incorrect people in all of the pages of Scripture? I was sitting there early this morning, and I was thinking, I, I don't know how the church came up with this idea that Jesus is balanced. He's not balanced. Take up your cross daily, deny yourself and follow me. If you won't do that, you can't be my disciple. That's out of balance. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Sound balanced to you? Um, whoever will come after me must uh, hate his mother, father, sister, brother, uh, spouse, and children. He, he actually said that. And of course, he's not teaching us proactive hate. What he's saying is, I am so radical that I don't want 92% of you. I want all of you. And so when we come to that place, we have to realize, oh man, everything that he's entrusted into me, I'm a steward of. How I release it, and especially the gospel. There are people, listen, hear me on this. It's so dangerous in how I preach this. I want to be wise and careful. That's why I said we need Holy Spirit discernment about this. Because I said no to the gospel for two years to the guy that was witnessing to me. And if he had out of balance applied this verse, he could have walked away from me after a month of me just kind of blowing him off. But he stuck with it for two years. But there are people that will blaspheme your king, will reject, will be hostile, will mock and persecute you. And it is a false assumption that you are obligated by God to keep going back to them with your pearls. Sometimes... He might lead you to do that. But here's the thing. This is, not a com this is not a statement that we can just kind of blow past. It's a command. 
And so what happens is when I hear this command from Jesus and I'm thinking to myself, I have been witnessing to this specific person for years and she grows more and more hostile. Many years ago, I had a person that I loved dearly and on a phone call, when I confronted her about something, this is after a lot of relationship building, she said, I don't want you to ever talk to me about Jesus again. And I never did. Because I knew in that moment, at this point, she had, and I never quit praying for her, but I stopped giving her the pearls. Some of you may have people like that in your life. I'm just telling you, you need discernment. Therefore, you're going to do the next thing we're talking about. What is it? We're going to move from the pearls to the prayer. Verses 7 and 8, he not only talked about discernment and how we're releasing and whom we are investing, but he's going to talk about persistency in prayer. Now, this is going to sound ABC, but some of us have forgotten our ABCs. I, I studied this all week, and I got so convicted. I got so convicted of how easily I am moved off Jesus' simple instructions about my prayer life. So let's go there together. Y'all with me? First of all, there's clear instructions about prayer. This is the first thing he said. This is so clear, you'd have to hire a team of professionals to confuse you about it. Here it is. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Now, let's don't make this a Hallmark card, and let's don't make this in this moment a memory verse that we learned X amount of years ago. Let's get in the presence of the Son of God, the highest authority to ever walk the planet, and he's teaching you, and he's teaching me, and he's saying, I always like to do this, and there's nothing wrong with doing this as you read your Bible. Jeff, ask and it will be given to you. Jeff, seek and you will find. Jeff, knock and it will be open to you. It's not an offer or a suggestion. It's a command. It's an instruction from my Lord and my King. And so I have to slow down on this because I've known these words for so long that I never stop and check, am I actually doing this? Now, don't panic. I have a prayer life. We have a a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week prayer room. And so I pray over there. I pray as soon as I wake up. I pray all during the day. I, I try to live a lifestyle of prayer. So it's not that I am not praying, but am I praying intentionally with expectation? So my wife's the prayer warrior in the family. She may be the prayer warrior in the church. Between her and Billy, they're like neck and neck, man. I'm just not really sure. But, um, and, and Amy's confidence in prayer is humbling to me. I'm, I'm married to a woman who seems to have no doubts. And she feels the heart of God. And so right now, I've got this thing in my life. It's not an essential or, or anything. And she has more confidence and praying on it than I do. And for the first time probably ever in our marriage, I'm having to tell her, are you still praying about that thing? She's like, yep, prayed about it this morning. Like, you getting anything? She goes, I'm just believing God and I'm trusting him. And she'll say, how are you doing with it? And I'm like, yeah, you're believing God and you're trusting him. That's kind of where I am. 
I'm praying, but I'm not praying like that. So let's revisit this. And let's, I, I don't want you to think about me or Amy or Billy or anybody else. I want you to, I want you to say, are, you, are, you, are we obeying this command? Because I know what, what happened when I read that. Your, your inner protester saying, <clears throat> hey, dude, I asked and I didn't, I didn't receive it. I sought, I didn't find it. And I knocked so hard, my, my, my prayer knuckles were bloody and it never opened. And so what we do, this is, this is what we do. Not everybody, I'm just saying, if you've done this, you're not alone. We look at the clear words of Jesus and we're like, uh, I don't know about that. And, and, and we actually, because if you follow that instinct to say, yeah, I don't know about that, if you trace it all the way down to what it actually is, we're saying, you're not telling the truth, Jesus. <laughs> Anybody feel cornered yet? Because I got a little ways to go. I'm going to get you in a corner here for a minute. It's not, to, it's not to scare you or make you feel guilty or shame. It's get, to get us to address our lack of confidence in the simplicity of what he's saying to us. He's teaching us. We teach the, the five-year-olds this stuff. And the five-year-olds are like, yes, yes, of course Jesus is going to do that for me. And then we hit like 12 and we start encountering something that is no longer childlike faith. And then we hit 15, and reason starts to, 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 reason and logic and life experience start to crowd out childlike faith a little bit and say, get out of here, we're running the show now. And then every now and then, childlike faith will try to get in there, and reason says, we already kicked you out. And so I want to get back to the place the older I get where I'm more like a child in asking, seeking, and knocking than I am um, a theologian. So, so let's, let's just, what, what is he saying? First of all, prayer involves your specific request. You actually have to pray specifically about stuff. Prayer is not thinking nice thoughts towards heaven. Prayer is shutting everything else out and expressing either internally, I like to pray out loud when I can because I like to hear what I'm actually saying. And Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Now, understand this, teaching moment, Greek verb tense, present imperative, glory. What does that mean? It means Jesus is actually saying, his original audience would have heard it this way. Keep asking, keep asking, keep asking. It will be given to you. Prayer involves specific requests, and Jesus doesn't answer prayer according to a microwave timer. You know why? Because answering your prayer is not the most important thing to him. You know what it is? Intimacy with you. Here's a very simple illustration. Those of you that have children, there's a moment when your kids are little, and I'll just use this illustration. We've always had like a little candy jar at our house and when the kids are little and I've got a treat daddy give me a treat and I'm like come over here and get it no daddy give it to me come over here and get it it's not that I don't want her to have the candy I want to hug her I want to hold her I want her up in my lap you know she's little back then and and I could give her it to, I could toss it across the room and take a second that's not what I want the most I know she's going to get the piece of candy but I want to connect with her. I'm the father, she's the child. I know what I'm going to do with the piece of candy. 
She's already asking me, but I haven't given it to her immediately. Why? Because there's something more important than her getting the candy. It's a moment of connection between a father and a child. Sometimes when God is delaying and, and you have to keep asking, it's not because he's mean and indifferent and calloused or deaf. That's not what he's doing. He's cultivating an opportunity for your hunger to increase. And what he eventually is, is seeking to facilitate in us is that our hunger for him will eclipse our hunger for the thing that we're asking. And so he's, listen, I'm just going to tell you, of course there's delays. Of course there's seasons. I've been praying about certain things for 25 years that haven't come to pass yet. But in the delay and in the not yet, I know him better now than I ever would have if he had just been the glorified bellhop waiting to meet my every need. And so what he does is he's constantly inviting us in, but we have to keep asking. And I'm, I'm going to circle back to these in a moment. Then beyond asking is seeking, which means deliberate investigation. It means you're actually doing more than mouthing the words. You're actually investigating what you're doing. You're looking, you're, you're moving. Now look, you can ask stationary in the physical, in the natural, but you can't seek in a stationary position in the natural. If you're actually looking for a physical thing, you're moving about, you're scanning, you're observing, you're taking input, you're factoring through things, you're feeling it, you're doing all of these things. So seeking is a step beyond asking. It means you are now engaged in this process with the Lord. And so sometimes we ask, it didn't happen, but sometimes it didn't happen because we asked and asked and asked, but we didn't start seeking means we, we thought, well, either, you know, this is where your theology can play tricks on you. Well, he's sovereign. He's going to do what he's going to do. So I'm going to make my request be made known. But if he doesn't answer it in the next hour, I guess it wasn't his sovereign plan. So, and sometimes that's not it at all. Sometimes he's like, well, I, I just want you to come near. I just want, let's do this together. Just press in and let's do this together. Why don't you seek me as you seek this thing? And by the way, he says, if you do that, you'll find. Keep seeking. And then eventually, keep knocking, and it will be open to you. So follow the process there. We're verbally asking, and then as we continue to verbally ask, and we're getting specific, by the way. You need to pray specifically. God bless the missionaries. How do you know if he ever answers that prayer? God bless the missionaries. Okay. Why don't you get so specific in your asking that when you're so specific... To know if he answered it, you have to be seeking. You have to call the missionary and say, hey, I was praying for you about this. Has that come to pass yet? No? Okay, I'll keep seeking. And then eventually you get a little bit further down the road and you're knocking. You're saying, okay, I feel like we're on the threshold. We've been praying about this thing for three months. I feel like we're there. Lord, we're knocking on the door. Come on, we sense this is the time. And you're actually engaging in this thing. But let me tell you, it's very, it's very possible that, you know, when I say the average Christian, I don't even know what that is, but just just say the average churchgoer kind of mouths the prayer, looks around for a minute, and like, well, God didn't come through. And, and, and we treat God like, you know, the guy who runs the stock room. And he, we put in our submission, our work order, where's my stuff? And that's, that's not who he is. 
It's all about relationship. And sometimes it's not just asking, seeking, and knocking, but there's a whole lot of things that are attached to that. It's fasting and staying up at night and watching, and, and, and we, we're pressing in. Now, here's what's amazing, because the next part is, is very, cl very clear. Verse um, 8 says, Everyone who asks receives and it's in the context who's he preaching to he's preaching almost exclusively to his followers people that on some level are committed to him everyone who asks receives the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be open now i'm just going to ask you a question do we or do we not believe jesus so when that that statement has not come to pass in my life it is not because jesus lied it is not because he failed. There is always an alternative reality that we haven't figured out yet. Often it's because we stop too soon. He does not say, ask the first time you got it, seek the first time you got it, knock the first time and you got it. There is no timetable. Now, oftentimes the things we're praying about have a deadline. And that's when things can get really hot and heavy in the spirit. Because you're like, oh Lord. I don't have five years of delays that I can, uh, I need you to move. But out of fear of being disappointed, out of fear of these promises not coming to pass, we just, sometimes we just kind of just stop. And then it's a, it's a self-facilitated reality. We quit praying before the breakthrough came. Um, here's what I have found out. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some practical counsel on this. The other alternative is this, in the asking and the seeking and knocking, we are convinced in the initial moments that what we're asking for is the will of God, right? Because there's other teachings on prayer in the Bible. It's not just this one statement. This is our favorite because it's clear cut, but it also drives us mad sometimes because it's so clear cut that when it doesn't come to pass, we're like, what? But there's a whole lot of other stuff Psalm 66, 18 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So when we're coming before the Lord and we know we've got some jacked up sin in our life, but we're saying, God, I really need you to come through on that. There is an element of reality. The Lord's like, yeah, I'm actually not listening to that right now. I love you. But what I'm actually addressing in your life is this iniquity that you're holding on to. And if you'll let me deal with that, then we can move straight into these requests. Then, you know, John wrote in 1 John, he, he said this, that literally, if we ask anything according to his will, and that's, boy, is that not where we get hung up? But let me tell you how you find out if it's will, his will or not. You, the scriptures will define a lot of that for you. So if you're married and you're praying for a boyfriend or a girlfriend, not going to happen. Why? Because the will, will of God is that you're going to stay in unity with your spouse. So those are, those are, those are a foolish example, but you, you can't pray about things that are clearly out of his will. Well, what about those things that there's no Bible on? And so here's the deal. You find out if it's will by asking, seeking, and knocking. Because in the asking, seeking, and knocking, especially when your heart is convinced this thing is good, this thing is right, this thing will bless me, it'll bless others, it'll honor God, you, you enter into that, and I'm going to tell you what happens. As you're pressing in, his will starts becoming crystallized. How many of you have done that? You've entered in convinced about something, and through the asking, seeking, and knocking, the original thing that you were asking for never comes to pass, but you end up at a place that is altogether different, but you find out it's better. What, what's happened there? In the asking and the seeking, 
You're seeking, and so he has actually led you to a place. He honored your asking because that, that was the catalyst. That was the thing that initiated it. But as you've continued, you're journeying. You're doing a little bit of a faith journey. And so, oh, well, I'm not ending up over here where I thought, we're going this way. What's this all about? And this is, it's going to touch the next point here in a minute. This is what I want to encourage you with. The ultimate goal for the dedicated follower of Jesus, the ultimate goal is not to get God to do what we want. The ultimate goal, the highest noble spiritual value when it comes to this issue of praying and seeking and knocking, the highest thing is, Lord, I actually don't want anything that you don't want for me. I, really, I just don't. Now, listen, that's easy to preach, but once your heart's locked in onto something that you really want God to do, man, it's hard to pry your heart off of that at times. But the disciplined believer, the mature believer, comes to that place where she says before the Lord, Lord, I'm just laying this before you, but if it's bad for me, please say no. And, and there's such freedom in that. Because you're not trying to twist God's omnipotent arm behind his back and hijack him and say, give me what I want. You're saying, Lord, this is what I think I really, really want. But if not, then please don't give it to me because really the best thing for me is what you want for me. The instructions are very simple. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. I promise you this. Every closed door points you to the one that will open. Every closed door is given so you don't walk through that. Why? Because it's not the door he wants to open for you. He's got a better door. So I'm, I'm running out of time. So let me get down to this. Um, oh, man, I got to hit this. All right, I got three verses and maybe like 10 minutes. So look in verses 9 and 10. They'll be up on the screen. So to build our confidence in, in trusting God, Jesus gives us an illustration. He says, which one of you, He's speaking to men here. If his son asked him for bread, which one of you would give him a stone? Or if he asked for fish, would you give him a snake? Would you give him a serpent? Would you give him an eel? If you then who are evil <clears throat> know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Do you see what he's doing? He's working from the lesser to the greater. We're the lesser, he's the greater. And he's trying to cement our confidence in the faithful and concerned paternity, the fatherhood of God. Some of us didn't have great relationships with our dad, so we're a little skeptical of the fatherhood of God. But I'm just going to take Jesus at his word because his words are more ironclad guaranteed than my feelings or your feelings. And so this is what he's saying. First of all, let's just hit this. It's just a good teaching moment. It's one of the clearest statements on the depravity of man you'll find anywhere in the Scripture in the Gospels. He, he doesn't even give any kind of unpacking of it. He's just saying, oh yeah, like at, at, at your default bottom line, you guys are evil. <laughs> what we do is we like to find a more evil person, compare ourselves to him or her, and say, I'm not evil, she's evil. I'm not evil. He, Jesus is saying no. I'm not comparing you to other people. I'm comparing you to God. And when you compare to God, you just need to go ahead and own it. You're evil. You're depraved. Aren't you glad you came tonight? Isn't that a blessing? That's awesome. Um, 
But his point is not to, to shame us for, for having internal issues, having sin uh, flavor pretty much everything on us. He, he's saying this. He's saying, hey, look, even evil dads instinctually want to do good things for their children. Unless there's like psychosis, mental illness or anything. I'm not trying to be funny. There, there's an instinct in a guy who may be morally corrupt and he may be mean as a snake to everybody else, but his little girl walks up or his little boy walks up and he's like, oh, what do you want? I got you. And the little kid says, can you give me some bread? Now, in Jesus' day, the bread wasn't like a loaf of bread that you get at Publix or Kroger. The bread was like a little flat, round piece of bread and it could look like a stone. So Jesus is saying, what kind of dad would wink at his buddies and say, watch this, my kid wants a little bread, so pick up a rock, say, yeah, bite into that. That's a cruel dad. Jesus says, you never do that to your kid. Or if the kid wants some fish, you know, the basic staple meat of Jesus' day, who's going who's gonna to give him, you know, a, a puff adder, a, a venomous snake? No dad's going to do that. He's not going to harm his kid. He's not going to trick and deceive his kid. And I think it's in Luke's gospel, the, the issue with if he asks for an egg and you give him a scorpion. Some of those scorpions are big, and, and when they ball up, they could look like a, 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 a small egg. Jesus says, you guys wouldn't do that. And yet, the implication is, and yet you're, 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 you're suspicious of whether God, your father, is better than you are as a dad. Man, I'm getting convicted as I'm preaching this. I am. I am. It's, 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 a, it's, it's hard to preach something that you're not, you don't have breakthrough on. And it's not that I doubt God on all things, but I do doubt God in, in stuff like this sometimes. How many of you hear the voice, well, you don't pray about stuff you can do yourself. It's the responsible thing to go out and do it yourself. To pray is to presume upon God, and you just need to go out there because you're an American, you're a Christian, you've got gifts, you've got resources, you've got skills. Go make it happen. Trouble not the master. And I hear that voice sometimes. And sometimes when I'm cohesive, I hear God's voice saying, hey, I actually love you, and I'd really like to bless you. Why are you doing all that in the energy of your own strength? Why don't you just believe that I'm actually really, really good? Jeff, you would do it for Landon. You would do it for Alicia. Why don't you think I'll do it for you? And it all ties back into how we ask, seek, and knock. And so he teaches us this. Jesus is saying, if you're struggling, or the, the application, Jesus is saying this. I'm saying this by way of application. If you're struggling in prayer confidence, Jesus says your actual struggle may be that you really don't think he's as good of a father as he is. And there could be nine different reasons why we might think that. And what Jesus is saying is they're all invalid because he's a way better dad than you. And if you'll just press into him, eventually you're going to get, that's what he says. He says, how much more, how much more will your father in heaven give the good things to you if you'll ask him? All right, so we'll grow together on that. Last, last, uh, last verse. He's going to, Jesus taught intentionality in relationships. So you see how these are disjointed. Pearls, prayers, and now people. He wants to talk to you and, and talk to you about you and the person next to you and everybody else. So here's what he says. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. All right. 
Does anybody know what that verse is commonly referred to as? The golden rule. There we go. Uh, whatever you want people to do to you, do unto them. And Jesus is the one who spoke that. It's actually referred to in the Old Testament in the law. Um, I want to say it's like Leviticus 13 or 19, um, that there's a, a part of the law where God's instructing Israel how to deal with each other as covenant people. And it's the same teaching. He's saying you need to treat everybody else in the way you yourself would want to be treated. We are so depraved that we are naturally, instinctually self-blessers. We, we show up every day and we have an expectation of how everybody ought to treat us. And you know what the expectation is? Hey, I'm awesome. Treat me that way. We never say it that way, but do you know why you get offended when you're not treated awesomely? Because you woke up expecting to be treated, maybe if, if not awesomely, then at least fairly respected. And, and so we naturally have things that we believe people ought to say to us, do for us, um, defer to us. That's just the natural instinct. We want to be treated a certain way. And Jesus kind of gums around the back and he gets next to us. He says, hey, you can't control how others treat you, but I'm going to give you something here. Why don't you treat them like you would want to be treated? Matter of fact, I'm not going to ask you if you should. I'm going to tell you you need to. He literally gives us another command here. He says, whatever you wish, whatever you want others to do to you, you do that to them. And then he makes this staggering statement. For this is the law and the prophets. It's like 37 books in the Old Testament. There's all massive verses and laws and all these precepts and commandments and prohibitions and historical books and psalms and all. And, and, the, and the Lord's saying, yeah, if you take all of those laws, and he's speaking primarily about the, the, the dictates of the Mosaic law, about how people are supposed to interact with each other, he just boils it down to, to this summary statement. He's like, yeah, if you actually want to know the summary banner that hangs over the, the law in, in a relational law, it just treat everybody the way you want to be treated. He says, that's, that's really what the law and the prophets were saying. And again, you either get to believe Jesus or debate with him. I'm just going to believe him. If he says that's what the law and the prophets is, uh, you know, distilled down to, then he's right. Think about this, and I'm, I'm about to close. <laughs> do you, I mean, how do I say this? We so ridiculously overcomplicate the Christian life. I mean, we really, really do. We, as believers, will break fellowship over the most ridiculous things. You believe Jesus Christ is coming back mid-tribulation? You believe he's coming back after the tribulation? Heresy. You still believe that he's coming back before the tribulation? <laughs> Yeah, all right, you poor sap. And, and we treat people, whether it's eschatology, 
Um, listen, I was a fundamentalist. Most of you know that. I was saved and placed in a fundamentalist environment. And it was probably good for me because I was so far out in the world. I needed somebody to yank me in the opposite direction. But Christianity in those early days was portrayed to me. I don't remember hearing anything about love. I remember hearing everything about don't do this, don't do this, don't go here, don't eat this, don't drink this, don't wear this. They literally, when I got saved, I was, I've told this before, I want to say it again because it's fun. I, I had really, really long hair. Now I've got a really, really big bald spot. But back then I had really, really long hair. And I didn't know that was kind of like taboo in a fundamentalist denominational church. So I'm hanging out for like a month with really long hair, and then I start looking around. It's like every young dude in here has really, really short hair. And I thought, well, maybe that's a thing. So I got seven inches of my hair cut off, and it was still long. And then when I finally got the accepted hairdo, I literally walked into the church, and I had this young couple. They were in a Bible college, and they were back. And the girl literally came up to me and did this. She was clapping like this. We've been praying you get your hair cut. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I was probably like, like right at the end of the road with them, like two more weeks with that mullet, and he is out of here. The point being is this. We break fellowship over stuff that's ridiculous. You had a glass of wine? You can't do that. You went to the movie theater, you can't do that. You listened to country music, you can't do that. You wore pants, ma'am? You're not allowed to wear pants. You better put on a skirt, Sally. You know, that kind of stuff. Now, the younger generation doesn't know anything about that, but some of you old-timers, y'all know it, right? I didn't mean to call you old-timers. Don't just, don't, don't be offended. The point being is that we, it's almost like we're looking for stuff to break up with each other over. And Jesus just comes in with the inspired. He's talking about the Old Testament written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by God-called, God-ordained prophets. And he says, yeah, if I wanted to distill it down to one phrase, it's treat others just like you would want to be treated. And man, we are just, it's like we're just looking for the theological ways out. We're looking for the tradition where you break tradition. And I'm just going to tell you something. When Jesus comes back, I don't want to feel stupid in his presence. When I see him in his glory and all the summation of the age has come and he has returned to establish his kingdom on this terra firma, this ball, this planet, I don't want to have to look him in the eye and instantly know that this other person over here whom he paid for with his blood, whom he loves with furious love, who he gave everything for and I've been at odds with him and her because they didn't quite share the same flavor of Christianity I did I, I'm not going to do that I'd rather stand before him and give an answer for being a little too liberal with my love than being too tight with it and so what Jesus says here is this and I'm going to ask you to stand your feet appreciate the little bit of extra time tonight this is, this is how I just want to close. And I, I listen, everything we talked about tonight is doable by you. Ask. Keep asking. I can do that. Keep seeking. Yeah, I can do that. Keep knocking. I can do that. Treat everybody else like I want to be treated. Do it as unto the Lord. I can do that. I have to think about it. I have to commit. I may have to repent. 
I, I, but I, I can do all of this. And then the hardest thing is, is the thing where we have to slow down and discern, is this pearl I'm about to offer going to go to a, a person or for the 50th time that's just going to trample it underfoot? That's the hardest thing in the sermon, and that's something that if we'll continue to press into him, he'll give us understanding about that. So let, let me just pray for us as we dismiss. Father, for, for those that stutter a little bit in their prayer life with doubt, like me, um, we just confess it, Lord. Re, just acquaint us more deeply with how good of a father you are. Even if our earthly dad blew it, um, just reacquaint us. Maybe even for the first time, acquaint us with how deep your paternal love is for each of your children. And Lord, give us confidence that when we come asking, seeking, or knocking, you're going to lead us to the very best thing that you have for us, and it won't be in vain, and that our destiny is not fruitless prayers, but prayers that eventuate into that place that you've, you've, you've had for us. Uh, Father, help us to be wise about how we release these kingdom treasures you've given us. It's so hard, Lord, to, to give up on somebody. So help us to always stay attuned to you. Help us to understand why this command is in Scripture. But God, give us wisdom about specific people in our lives right now. And Lord, I pray if there's ever a time where we know that it's time to quit casting the pearls and giving that which is holy to the dogs, that there will be a peace that passes understanding, that we won't be motivated by guilt and fear to continue to do it, but then when we... We understand that it's time that there will be peace. And we know, Father, that even if we stop offering the pearls, the valuables from our lives to others, that you won't quit loving and going after that person, that you've got other people. So we know that you love everybody more than we love them. So we trust you with that. And then, Father, as, as we leave tonight, even in the parking lot, even in traffic, even in our house tonight, help us to treat people like we ourselves expect to be treated. Thank you for being a practical king, Jesus, and teaching us how to live our lives. We love you. Amen.